Truth with Kristen Company, and the company today is Mary Cochran and Barbara Emerson. We are excited. We are in the middle of a Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, Powerful Truths, Seven Realities to Experiencing God. It's not a formula or a method, but he gets in and we look at scripture to confirm how it is that God works, learning his character. If we want to know God's will, it starts with first responding to his invitation to love him wholeheartedly, and we come to know God by experiencing him, but we won't experience him unless our heart is in the right place with him. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. That's John 14, 21. You know, knowing about God and experiencing God are entirely different. When Moses was at the burning bush, he asked God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God responded, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When God said, I am who I am, he was saying, I am everything you will need. This is why we frequently see new names or titles used for God following a particular event where someone's experienced God. For example, Henry Blackaby pointed out a couple stories from the Old Testament. When Joshua and the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites, Moses was overseeing the battle from a nearby mountain. When he held his hands up to God, the Israelites were victorious, but when his hands were weary, he lowered his hands, but when they came down, they began to lose. As Moses realized this, he got help from others to hold up his hands during the rest of the battle, and they were victorious that day. Moses built an altar, and he named it, The Lord is My Banner. A banner is the standard that goes in front of an army to indicate who they represent, just like soldiers fly flags, you know, when they're marching into battle. The Lord is my banner says that we are God's people and he is our God. But during this battle, Israel came to know God in deeper ways as they actually experienced him in this way. When I got to this chapter, it was emotional to me, but in a just a beautiful way because I had read that in the Bible, I am, you know, I am who I am. And, and it's deep and it was so beautiful. But when like a light went on and I literally started crying because he is that for us in everyday life. If God tells me I am your healer, I am your father, I am your comforter, everything. So every aspect of my life, it applies because he is that for me at that moment. It just revealed something in a deeper way to me. One of the most incredible ways that we can experience God is when we worship him. And that is a personal testimony that I have. Some of the most intimate times that I've ever had with the Lord have just been in times of worship where he has tangibly shown up and I could feel him. The room was thick with his presence. And that is just an amazing place to be. It's an encounter. And in worship, our hearts open to whatever he's going to tell us, whatever he's going to show us. Even at the moment where I read, I am and I cried about it. That was an encounter with him because he was Mm -hmm. there speaking to me. My husband and I were taking an Uber ride and the driver was telling us that he worked with homeless people a lot in his free time. And so I asked him about his faith and he ended up sharing that he had been an atheist and 30 years prior, he went to a church service. He said he really didn't care anything about going. It wasn't like he was compelled to go. He was only going because some friends asked him to go and he was indifferent about it. So he's like, all right, I'll, I'll go. But he said he was moved in the service and he literally did feel something 
stirring in his heart. In that moment, they did an altar call and he said, I responded. He said, and I just said to God, God, if you're real, I want to repent. I want to know you. I just don't know if you're real. I need you to show me if you're real. And if you are, then I want you to be the Lord of my life. From that moment, he said, the presence of God came upon him and he said, and it stayed on him for three solid days. He knew it was the presence of God and he was crying. And he said, and for him, because he was a total non-believer, he's like, I had no reason to be emotional about God. I didn't care about God. So he knew it wasn't himself conjuring up these feelings. And the presence of God was so thick on him that he said it changed his life forever. And so he continued on after we got to our destination, sharing testimony after testimony. And today he uses his Uber as his mission field. And so he ministers to the people that get into his car, but he doesn't do it in a way that's over the top. He just does it as the Lord leads him. But he had verses in his car for people to take with them. He told me that he had a lady that was a passenger the day before. She was a lesbian. And he said he was talking to her and sharing the gospel. And he said, you know, God doesn't see you that way. God, God loves you. And God doesn't see you as that. He sees you as whatever her name was. You know, that's who yeah. he sees. And he loves you. And he looks upon you with love. And he said she began to weep and that she wanted to ask for salvation. And so they prayed together. Oh. And it's just how God works in incredible ways. But we have to be obedient. We have to be in that right relationship with him in the intimate relationship. And then he'll work through us in amazing ways. Right. That's a beautiful story. Our identity. Our identity is is in him. Her, she's labeled, okay, she's like, well, I'm a lesbian. I don't know. But that's just a label because her identity is still in God, you know, and God sees her as his daughter. That's right. Not as a label of whatever this world says. Yes. He looks upon her with love. He went to the cross for her just as much as he went to the cross for me, for you. He went to the cross for each of us, regardless of our sin. He doesn't Mm -hmm. look upon us in that way. It is his loving kindness that draws us to him. God is love. You know, when we're far from God and we don't know God, we've never known that relationship. He came for us in that state. He doesn't want us to clean ourselves up because we can't do it. We're not capable of it. We don't even know how. He says, I love you. I came. I died for you. He just wants that relationship. Now, when we have the relationship, once we do repent, when we are drawn to repentance, because that is what it draws us to when it's genuine. When we're drawn to repentance and a true relationship with the Lord, then it begins to transform us as we walk with him. And so it's that transformation that happens as a result of the relationship. Like Mary has said before, it's the fruit of the relationship, our obedience. It's not the root of it. The root of it is the love, the love relationship that we look upon what he's done for us. And we look upon, you know, how he receives us with open arms. And we say, how could I not love him back with my whole heart? He's done so much for me. God takes the initiative to pursue a love relationship with us, but it's not a one-sided affair. He wants us to know him, to worship him, and to love him. But Jesus had some things to say about the one who actually loves him. In John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I love the opposite. Like if you type that verse in and get it wrong and you do John 15, 14 instead of 14, 15, either one of them are going to lead you to the right place because the other verse says, The John 15, 14 says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. But he didn't stop there. He made the point loud and clear. And Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him too. And I'll show myself to them. Obedience is the outward expression of our love for God. At the end of that verse, it says, and I will show myself to him. To me, that's just exciting. Sometimes we can't get caught on the words like God says he'll show himself to you. It's like, think of revealing. He's going to reveal his spirit. He's going to help you to see spiritually. 
But it's like the Uber driver. He revealed himself to him, and look at what he's doing. You know, another thing about his story that I thought was really neat was he said that after that happened, in the three days, he said that he wept, and he just felt the presence of the Lord. The next thing he did was he just started reading his Bible. And he said he read his Bible straight for nine years. After the end of the nine years, the Lord called him to basically be a missionary, and he went to another country, and the Lord used him over there for a while. There's a verse in Romans, and it says, Therefore I urge you, brother and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's the key. You know, we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To have that happen, we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah, you know, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to have to figure out how to stay That's that's the hard part, yes. But that's why it's so important to have like-minded friends and to have fellowship with other believers that can encourage you and spur you on because it is hard to walk a walk of faith and obedience when we live in a world that's vying to pull us in every other direction and to try to keep us from the things of God. And the message of the world is entirely the opposite. What I love about what you were saying is the, the friendships is that we can actually relate to one another. You know, even with the study or just our daily living, pursuing God and Him pursuing us, we can share. And I can share something, call Mary and say, oh my gosh, Mary, this just happened to Mary in the Bible. And this, you know, and she can understand me because we're like-minded and we're there for each other. And that's so important, the fellowship of fellow Christians. Yes, Hebrews twelve six says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And along mm-hmm. the lines of what you're talking about with friendship, that's even important to give godly and loving correction to our friends right. or our worldly friends will tell us God wants us to be happy and it's okay what, whatever you're doing that's totally against God's word right but when we are sisters in Christ we know mm-hmm. that it's coming from a place of love right. when we're pointing to one another and we're saying you know what I know I could be there too but right. this is what I'm seeing happening right now and I just have to tell you you know I want to remind you of what God's word says right. because I love you and I know where your heart is and where you want to be it's not judging yeah. someone as if you're so much holier than thou. And that's a beautiful place in friendship. In Deuteronomy 10, God declares that his commands are for our good. He said, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. And then he went on to say in Deuteronomy 32 that these words of his are your life. That's what he said. He said, they're your life. He said, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all of the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life, and by them you will live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. That's Deuteronomy 32, 46, and 47. But I think it's really interesting because some people would look at that and they might say, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply. Well, yes, it does. It really does. Let's not go there right now, but yes, it does. Let me take that to where we can understand it, that it is applying to us and how Jesus brought it into the New Testament. He said the same thing, basically. In John 6, 53, 58, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, of the Son of Man. Now I'll stop right there and say that for a lot of people listening that may not you know, be familiar with your Bibles, that might sound really strange. And I'm sure it did to the disciples when he said it, right. you know, because they didn't know what he was talking about. But we have this understanding through scripture. So we'll break this down. But he says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Do you hear that? Whoever does that remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but who Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So let me make sure everyone listening understands what he is talking about. In John 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, it says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is what he was saying. The Word is your life. He brought that same thing that was said in Deuteronomy 32, and he brought it into the reality of the New Testament. And the New Covenant. That's right, and the New Covenant. And he was saying to them, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, but he was saying that because he is the Word. It's what it said in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. When Jesus came to that's right when he came to earth it's our spiritual food so he's saying by his word he's telling us don't go this way and die go this way and live the purpose of god's commands are not intended to restrict us they're intended to make us free and preserve our life and as god's obedient children you know we're in this love relationship with him because he loves you he wants to involve you in his work you know he'll show you where he's working so we can join him god invites us to become involved in his work but it's also possible for god to be working around us even as his children and not notice it and also like with the commands and what you said earlier krista about the commands can be harsh and you know some people can say well why are you trying to tell me how to do things or whatever but he gives his commands so we can prosper and live life to its fullest measure if you're walking through a landmine and a soldier knows where they are and he's telling you don't go this way don't go that way because i know where they are you're going to listen to him it's the same thing with his commands another verse in deuteronomy he tells us why he gave them he says the lord commanded us to obey all these decrees to fear the lord our god so that we might always prosper and be kept alive There's a story about not noticing when God's working around us that Henry Blackaby pointed out, and it's the story of Elisha. He and his servant were surrounded by an enemy army, and the servant was terrified. And so Elisha prayed for the Lord to open up the servant's eyes and let him see that he didn't need to be afraid. The Lord did open his eyes, and when he looked around, he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire from heaven. Could you imagine? I mean, seriously, I think about that sometimes, and I just think, you know, when we belong to the king of kings, and he says that if I'm for you, who can be against you and that he will fight on your behalf. And we pray and we pray with a sincere heart. And even when we're being attacked, do you not know that we have an invisible force? We have spiritual armies of heaven that will go before us. We really do. You know, and we see that here in scripture that God opened his eyes so that he could see that there was more protection around them than there were coming against them, Mm -hmm. you know, so that he wouldn't be fearful. But the whole point of what's being said here is that the Lord had to open his eyes. You know, to help him see that. Sometimes we can miss God working around us if our eyes aren't opened. There are two important factors for us to recognize God's activity around us. One, that we have to be living in that intimate relationship with him. And then two, that God has to take the initiative to open our eyes. So we need to pray and ask him, show me, Lord, help me see where you're working around me. Help me see what it is that you want to involve me in. And I think that's why God pursuing the love relationship, like Blackaby says, is so important. This week he says, 
if you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. It all goes back mm-hmm. to, to, love. That, to that love relationship. Yes. And some language that my church uses that I think is perfect is that it demands a response. Jesus came and died for us. That's good news. It demands a response. You Absolutely. know, our sins have been washed away. That's great news. It demands a response. We demonstrate our love for God, which is a response exactly. to him first loving us by obeying him. One of the reasons I'm faithful to my husband, well, because I made a covenant before God, but I'm also faithful to him because I love him and I would never want to break his heart. So my love for my husband will spur me on to be faithful to him, to serve him, to spend time with him and to be in relationship with him. If I didn't have that relationship with him, the love, then serving him would be a burden and it would be hard to do. And it's the same way with us and the Lord. Being obedient to him will be a burden if we are not experiencing the love relationship with him. Yes. And there's things that only God can do. It's only God that draws people to himself. And we've seen that in scripture. He's confirmed that for us. It's only God that causes people to seek him at all. And it's only God that reveals spiritual truth to us. You know, he has to open our eyes. And it's only God that convicts the world about guilt and sin through the Holy Spirit. So when we see those things happening, we can know that God is at work. And when I say see them happening, when we see that sort of thing happening in those around us, that someone's obviously, you can see that they're feeling convicted or they're starting to understand some spiritual truths or even ask questions about God. Sometimes God tries to get our attention by revealing to us that he's at work. We see it, but we don't immediately identify that it's his activity. We want to pray about it and ask him, and then we can sometimes miss our opportunity. Yes, and how motivating is that to cultivate that relationship? Because personally, I want to be responsive and sure of what and when God is revealing things to me. Not that confirmation is a bad thing, but personally, I've been struggling with whether or not I'm supposed to make a certain adjustment in my life right now. And it's something I will obey if God is calling me to make the adjustment. But if he's not asking me to make that adjustment... I obviously don't want to. So (laughs) I've been telling the Lord, please make plain to me your will. If you want me to make this adjustment, I will gladly do it. I just need to have the heavens open and angels come down with a blast of a trumpet and a declaration of thus saith the Lord and then have it confirmed by two other witnesses. That's all I need. That's all I need. And then I will make the adjustment. Lord, I am willing. We're going to wrap up this week of our study and we'll close it on a verse in Isaiah and it says, Surely, as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will happen. Isaiah 14, 24 and 27 says, Or the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? Amen Amen. to that. So if you've been listening and you'd like to listen again, or you'd like to share this podcast or hear a previous one, you can find us at touroftruth.com, or you can also find us on Facebook. And we'll look forward to talking with you again soon.